welcome to the Man of the Games cast, a deep dive podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Johnny. With me this week is Austin. Yo. And Brian. Hey there. Uh, we're just running one short. We don't have Night Swarm here, no Jay this week. Uh, but if you don't know, we do run a weekly poll to let us know what our episodes are going to be about ahead of time. And uh, this week on Twitter, it looks like our winner was uh, Custom Characters and Story in Gaming. Um, that was actually a topic that I came up with uh, a little while back because we've broached on it a lot uh, in yeah. past months due to a lot of our favorite games being very much one way or the other. So, guys, I have a very neat little idea that makes me want to start this episode out. Uh, I'm going to pop quiz you. Uh, I'm going to ask you guys. I'm going to give you guys the name of a game. And I want you to tell me who the main character is. I just need that character's name. So, uh, we'll start with uh, the Elder Scrolls V Skyrim. That'd be the Dovahkiin? I need, I, need your, I need your character's name, please. Oh, Dave. the actual character. Uh, I can't remember, honestly. Here, let I, me go... Yeah, I definitely me, do not care or ever look at the name in games like that. Let me go a, uh, boot that game up and uh, sink another 50 to 100 hours into that. Right. How about... Here's an easier one, then. How about Dragon Age Origin? What's that main character's name? Dave. Maybe, uh, uh, Dark. I'm going with Dave as well. They're all Dave. Dar Dark Souls? Dave. Dave Souls. Uh, Fallout <laughs> 4. Dad. And or fair, mom. Fair. How about uh, Dragon Ball Xenoverse? game's much Xenoverse? better if you play as a woman, by the way. That, yeah, true. Uh, Dragon Ball Xenoverse. Dragon Ball Xenoverse. Pretty sure that would be uh, Krillin. Close, close. Um, let's change things up a bit. I got some other ones here. These might be a little bit easier. These might be easier. Um, I'm hoping you get at least a couple of them. Uh, Halo. Uh, John Mr. Halo. Mr. John Halo. Right. <laughs> John Halo. Mr. Shep. Technically not wrong. <laughs> uh, Uncharted. John uh, Uncharted. <laughs> technically, the hero would be the daughter, which... Let's see if I can remember... Uh, I believe the main character's name is Nolan North. Yeah. Uh, the Witcher. Siri. I would say yes okay. here. Okay. Okay. Yo, gotcha. Dandelion. Tomb Raider. <laughs> the Womb Raider. Yeah, that was a, that was a good one. That was a good. One. This has just devolved into our uh, alternate names for existing games segment. Yeah, 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 pretty much. <laughs> and then uh, the last one I had to list on here was going to be God of War. Well, Boy. debatable again. Uh, but that's what's funny is that we were actually before the show talking about how like uh, what was it Final Fantasy X? Like, okay, who actually really is the main character of Final Fantasy X? It's probably Yuna, right? Well, everyone's it's like we, we, a lot of these that, are debatable. That's one of those big arguments. We can we can definitely yeah. agree when you're playing the Halo games that it, you're Master Chief. Yep. When you're playing mm -hmm. Uncharted, you're Nathan Drake. Um, when you're playing The Witcher, you're that entire series is you're you're Gerald. You're you're you are the you are the most renowned Witcher. Um, and in all the Tomb Raider games, you've been Lara Croft. And God of War, you've been Kratos for quite a while. And the reason I chose those games is because they're just they're more iconic ones that everyone just 
knows those games. They've known them for different platforms, different generations. Um, some of them kind of set things apart for us. But that first chunk of games, you don't really have a set character name for any of those. The, the, that first chunk with Skyrim and Dragon Age Origin and Dark Souls, you're making your own characters for those games. Um, and then that gives you a different experience within that world. Um, yeah, right. they usually I, try to go with like uh, a very generic uh, universal title when they're any character right. is addressing your character in that game. Right, right. And, and because of that, some of those games you also have to make different decisions that are going to impact where that story is going. So the, the story doesn't feel as fleshed out and, and specific when you're playing through some of those ones. Uh, that's even if you want to play the, some of those stories. Some of those games are so open world that you don't even have to do the story. You just go do a bunch of other right. side stuff and you're, it feels like in some of those games your main characters are your side characters, your NPCs that you're encountering because yeah. they at least have stories to tell. Um, mm -hmm. Versus like Halo and Uncharted and, and even The Witcher, you're you're much more on guided rails. You you have a set story that revolves around your character that you already know the name of. Um, I think I was blown away when playing The Witcher three, walking into a, a like a building and hearing everyone around like talk about my character because he already exists in that world and has for so long. Um, mm -hmm. And they're they're dropping his name and, and talking about things he has been known for, and right. I thought that was neat. Like to me, that really stood out because I certainly don't get that experience out of uh, out of something like Skyrim where you get a generic title for what your character is. Like yeah, everyone right. knows that you're the Dragonborn, but no one knows you know you. Right, and then uh, those games like in the more modern era have even tried to do more like. Um they'll try to like have some identifiers like in Skyrim if you are an Argonian maybe occasionally some characters will reference that you're an Argonian yeah, or maybe a occasionally or something like that yeah every once in a while they'll be a little racist toward you but right just different types of whatever kind of racism they got if you play as a human then they have anti-italian racism you know stuff like that yeah, it's... so yeah that's that is really interesting too because even then depending on like what era of game we're talking about where i think that um you know dragon age origins was a good example skyrim was a good example where they try to um like your character still does have a particular role that you play right so like well like in, in the dragon witcher oh I, yeah go ahead yeah, yeah in the witcher you know you are Geralt. he has these certain you know we, he has a history we know what he's done we sort of know what he's going to do, right? Like, when you play that game, the sense of uh, role-playing is different in that you're not saying, what would I do? You're saying, what would Geralt do here? Right? 100%. And it's, it makes it different to make, like... It, this really, like, doubles down on, uh, you know, this, this type of question of, like, are you playing a known, written, predefined character, or are you your own... Um, particularly in role-playing games and then even if not it, it is kind of the, the difference in the gameplay that it makes is how you inhabit the role of the character that you're playing right so right are uh, you trying to follow along a uh, new character type or are you inserting yourself into this universe right. like is there any decision making or any kind of role-playing you can do in like halo um no 
I no, guess a little so bit maybe of like, oh, uh, Master Chief wouldn't just walk in and shoot everybody. He would stick a grenade to this guy and kick him, and then he would do a backflip. <laughs> like, you can kind of do a little bit, but it's not like you ever get the chance of like, There's okay, no... in this situation, would Master Chief nuke all human life on Earth or uh, become the president? Like, no, it's a very linear experience. There's right. not really any RPG elements to it and stuff besides just your gameplay and everything. Yeah, so yeah. Th- there are a couple games that I specifically left out of the list because I feel like they're a weird middle ground. Um, mm-hmm. Oddly enough, I was going to throw Mass Effect on the list, Bro. but you do still have a name with that character. You're at yep, least and I was going to uh, title and last name. You just well, you get to pick that first name. I would right. even go a step further that, like, both with Dragon Age and with um, Mass Effect, you also choose a bit of your backstory, too. And mm-hmm. that will kind of dictate some of the missions that you may encounter or how some people will approach you be- based on some pre existing history that you decide to choose for the character that you're going right. to play as. Yeah, I think, yeah, uh, uh, Mass Effect is a really good example of that. And then the other one is, um, like, just comparing mainline Dragon Age games, right? So in Dragon Age Origins, you can be an elf, you can be a dwarf, you can be male or female. Um, Your history doesn't really matter because you play your own prologue that tells you about your backstory, right? Like, yeah, you that was like, that's why they called it Origins, right? So, well, there's, there's, uh, there's several, there's, um, it's based on what your race is, what your class is, and inside of that, like um, like a class signifier. So you can be uh, a city elf, which are like they're like so like semi enslaved. They're like mm-hmm. um, extremely like underclass of like working. They're not even peasants because a peasant implies that you ha- like work the land or something. They have nothing, right? They live in slums. Um, and then there are the uh, Dalish elves that live out in they have like a quote unquote traditional um, elven existence of like traveling and like uh, they're in nomadic tribes that kind of travel through their ancient homelands or whatever mm-hmm. so like you can play as a female elf rogue and there's potentially two different backstories you might get based on whether you want to be basically in the human world or outside of it so they did a really good job of that and it was really interesting and a lot of people got really attached to their character because they created them and it's all original basically and then dragon age 2 you are a particular person from a particular place yeah with a particular your family is like major characters in the game you flee from the events basically of dragon age 1 at when you were younger and then you live out the life of, or you know, the next uh, 12 years or whatever, of one particular person. So, like, you have to play as a human. You can be a man or a woman, it doesn't matter to the game, but regardless, you used to be, like, a normal conscripted soldier in uh, the army of the country of the first game. And, um, you know, people had, I mean, there was also, like, major gameplay changes and stuff like that, but people had really weird reactions to playing Dragon Age 2, which came out only a year and a half after the first game, which was pretty shocking. But, um... Yeah, it was, it was a totally different, like, scope. The, was it the a scale different of the game Bioware was studio that down. made it? No, it was the same studio. Okay. 
Yeah, it was really odd. Um, and in the meantime, they put out, what, four or five DLCs for Origins? Yeah. So, like, yeah, that was right after they were acquired by EA. Um, yeah, I would a very say... very strange time. I would say if that... If, if, if Dragon Age Origin were to have released now, then I see Dragon Age 2 would have just been a massive DLC. It would have just been a big expansion. I think that was the original intent. The game. Yeah. Yeah. Instead, um, they were like, full title, full t- full release, full release. Well, and to be fair, they did release an entire game-sized DLC for Origins as well, with Awakening. Yeah. Um, it's like a 20, 30-hour <laughs> DLC, you know? It's about, it, it's as long as Dragon Age 2, if not maybe a little longer. So, um, you know, there was, a, there was a number of factors that went into uh, the different reaction to Dragon Age 2 compared to Dragon Age Origins. But, um, you know, Dragon Age 2 kind of went with that Commander Shepard Mass Effect model. That's like, okay, maybe you are a man or woman, it doesn't, you know, it, as far as the story is concerned, it doesn't matter. Um, you know, maybe you were a warrior or a biotic or a tech specialist or a mage, not really important. But we know that Commander Shepard is this particular person who had some kind of space-related upbringing or some kind of strange, you know, not normal upbringing. You were either a uh, You were either a communicate, a spacer. Yeah. Yeah. So... You know, it's like, eh, that doesn't really matter. What we do know is you went through some kind of tragic backstory. And you're, like, an excellent god-tier, uh, you know, Master Chief-level, like, unique talent. And you become the first uh, human super space marine, basically. So it's like... Uh, it, that is a really interesting middle ground, like you said. That's like, okay, you can customize your character... But you can, you can even give yourself whatever first name you want. Doesn't matter yep. though, because no one Nobody refers ever to uses you by it. it. The entire game, including your love interest. <laughs> yeah, so it's like a, they give you like a false sense of character customization. Right. That's not really there. Um, you still get your decision trees and stuff as you go, mm-hmm. and and that's really where yeah, it comes the, down to. Exactly the actual customization that you do where it matters is in, do you choose the good guy option, the bad guy option, or the neutral option in dialogue? Mm-hmm. And that's something I had planned for a whole different episode if we did to right. dive into that because God, Morality so much in video games. Yeah. But, It'd be a good but, follow-up to this one, I think. But but really, like even then, how much is that impacting your, your story as you're going? Yes, you've already been given this... So you go through the game, you feel like you are this character that you created, mm-hmm. uh, and you're making these little decisions here and there, and let's face it, everyone always ends up making the same decision. They, they you, you go back for subsequent playthroughs like you're going to change that decision. You're yeah, not. You're you playing the exact same thing. You are a particular type of person, so you will most likely select the same options. It's really funny. Um, are you going to so put been, the card away, or are you not going to put the card away when you're done? Right. Are you going to steal from the van, or are you going to leave it because somebody else might need it or whatever? Um, so we've been playing through the uh, Shane and I've been playing through the Walking Dead Telltale games, which are an excellent example of this. The characters are written; they are a particular person. They have a particular past and a particular reason to do the actions that they do, right? And then it's up to you to decide to carry out that character's behaviors in a certain way, 
right? So, um, in Walking Dead Season 1, you know, you're playing as Lee, and you know from the onset of the game, this is not a spoiler, that Lee has, like, committed a murder, he's been found guilty, and he's going to jail. So, that can, that can color how you carry out the rest of this guy's life. And even in the first conversation, you're you're talking to the cop that's driving you to the uh, jail, basically, or the prison, I guess, in that case. But um, you have the opportunity to respond in these different ways where you can say, look, I didn't do it, I'm innocent. And then the guy will, like, make fun of you and say everybody always says that, and, you know, it doesn't matter, you've been found guilty, so it doesn't matter if you did it or not, it's over. And you can say, like, you know, I'm not proud of what I did, you can say nothing and be silent, which is always really funny in the story-based games. <laughs> so, um, that's been really interesting where my first instinct when I play games like that is I want everybody to live. I want everybody to make it. I don't hold a grudge. Um, you know, I'm, I want to have, I want to see the best in people and stuff. And while we're playing, you know, options will pop up and Shannon will be like, Oh, pull the gun. Just start shooting. So anyways, I started blasting. And it's like, she wants to see the weird, interesting stuff because in real life, you know, she works retail. She's non-confrontational. She never says the mean thing to people. So she wants to live that out in a fantasy, right? And I am weird and confrontational at work. So I'm, I'm like, I just want to be the... I don't want to make any problems, you know? So it is really interesting, like... Um, being given a character I think yeah we've said it in the beginning but I think The Witcher is like the best example of this in uh, any kind of recent games or anything yeah like as, as far as modern gaming it really like The, oh, Witcher, the Witcher 3 was just off the walls phenomenal and it, it was yeah. because one of the biggest reasons was because it gave you an already existing character you, you kind of already knew how you were supposed to do things and especially, there are things yeah go ahead Ryan oh I was just going to say especially if you even read the books that the series is based yep. off yeah. of which takes place like the last book in the timeline for that ends five years before the first game mm -hmm. so. yeah so and that's something too that in the game Geralt will make certain decisions without your player input like sometimes it's not a question of like, oh, well, do I want to save um, this other witcher from the school of the Viper and he might be the last of his clan or whatever. Like, there's no debate. Like, Geralt just says, oh, I have to help him. And then, like, there, there's no dialogue option. You don't choose if you want to help him or not. The mission becomes save him. And it's, it's uh, you know, there's certain things that Geralt does not have to have a debate about. He just he knows that he's going to do this. Like all of his interactions with Siri, you're choosing how you want to be a parent to her, I guess, and that influences the ending based on, you know, how she feels about you or whatever. But like the way that you choose to handle and and talk with her and give her freedoms or not and things like that, um when Siri's in danger, there's no like, well, do I want to let her figure it out or do I uh, jump in? Like, you jump in. That's what Geralt does. So it, it's really fascinating when you have things like that. So like, um, 
the antithesis to that would be like Mass Effect, where especially in the later games, you have the option of doing like the interrupts. So if you are um, you're in a standoff with somebody and they have a hostage, uh, you could in the you're in the middle of like a big dialogue thing of you're trying to negotiate them to like back down and everything. There will be like a, a moment on the screen where like the right trigger will pop up and it'll say like, oh, if you pull the right trigger right now, you'll be like a renegade and you'll take a shot at the person. And it's like, hey, you might hit them. You might freak them out and they might shoot the hostage. You don't know, but this guy's got to die. And again, just like in uh, The Walking Dead, you can just sit there and wait for it to exp- the timer to expire and that goes away and you continue your discussion but it's like hey i know that you know i'm an exist i'm a real character i know that right now i could take a shot do you want to do it and it's like you know the person the character in their own head is thinking like do i shoot just put this person in danger what do i do here um where they, yeah. they give you just that little bit more where it's like commander shepherd the written character would not always take the shot so you don't, you know, it, it, it shows you the option because we don't know what they would do. Whereas with Geralt, there's a lot of times where he just does things. And it's like, well, I'm the type of guy that does this. And he will say in dialogue in the game that you don't choose, it just occurs. He will say things like, I'm the guy that cuts the dude's head off. Like, I don't have time to negotiate. This dude has to die. Like, he will tell you, the player, who he is. And then you can choose to roleplay that or not, or, or make decisions in, you know, future dialogue or whatever. But Geralt is fundamentally a certain way. So, it, that again, that's the way that they just did it in such a good way. I don't even know who else to compare, uh, what other games to compare to The Witcher of, like, a predefined character that you have to try to stay within the bounds of. Like, they did it so good that everybody else is just blown out of the water. It's, it's really tough. I mean, there's even parts in The Witcher where you do get that choice. You do get, when you're doing some little side quests and side missions and stuff, but nothing feels uncharacteristic. Right. Um, like, nothing feels forced. Like, I remember there was one where you solved a crime after doing, like, early in the game, there's a mission where you solve a crime after following a bunch of little clues and doing a bunch of stuff. Yeah. And then your final choice is that you can help free the guy, you can help punish the guy, or you can leave it up to the town. Yep. And I thought that was I thought that was neat, just to be like, oh, all right, um, he's y'all's problem. <laughs> yeah. Like it's it's one of those big ones, but compare. I I always have to go back and compare it to something like the games I can't get into as much, which are like my my Elder Scrolls titles where I, I get my generic create a character and yeah I get to talk to whoever I want but I'm, I'm immediately going off the rails like as soon as I start something I'm moving I'm going to different areas I'm traveling across the entire world I'm not really trying to do anything specific like follow the storyline I'm just out there I'm just exploring like crazy um, not following the actual story because it's not it's not pulling me in enough because mm-hmm. it doesn't have my name invested in it as much right because I don't know who I'm playing as by being this big broad created character right 
I think for I... me, the alert of those kinds of games, though, is like, I, in a weird sense, that they're almost kind of like comfort food games to me. At least for me on a personal level, because like, there isn't uh, a point that like if I wanted to, I can just do whatever, and I don't have to be, I don't have to worry about being told where to go to. I can just exist and vibe in that world. Yeah. Yeah, I that's, think... that's one of the things that kind of makes me like I feel like you can get like false investment on games where it completely doesn't matter who your character is so like I think of a good example of that being a, like in Skyrim um, you'll go do this huge you know you'll go do a thousand side quests or whatever and it was like a notable like funny story about Skyrim that like only like 40% of players ever finished the main story or something like that. Right. And it's like, it's because they don't give a shit. Like the main story also is not the good part of the game. The good part of the game is the world and doing the minor side stuff and like, you know, tracking down and dealing with all the Daedric princes and stuff like that. It's, it's not self-created because there are real quests attached to it and everything, but kind of more self-fulfilling quests, right? Right. And, um, I, I've done it many times in games where I have this big detailed character creator. In fact, we were just talking about it. Pillars of Eternity. It's in the uh, Humble Bundle this week or whatever. This month. And um, Pillars of Eternity is one where there is... You know, you might sit there and do 15, 20, 30 minutes of character creation of... Okay, I'm going to do a custom class. I'm going to be like a spell sword fighter, right? So, like, I'm going to build... A little bit of um, you know typical you know for, fighter type character, and then I'm also going to build a high intelligence score, and I'm going to get these spells so that I can you know I'm going to be primarily doing conjuration and abjuration spells or something. So I'm like buffing myself before I go into battle, things like that. Mm -hmm. And you'll spend yeah 30 minutes doing this huge create a character thing, and then you go load into the game, and you could have been anything, so it doesn't yeah. matter, you know. And yeah. They're like. Oh, you look like a normal uh, good cell sword. Can you protect the caravan? And it's like, okay, that's not really what I was going for here. <laughs> yeah, it's even more if you for do, like, you your... than the actual game. Yeah, yeah, and that's. I was actually going to mention that game too because I just literally started playing it yesterday. Right. I sunk like fifty-five minutes into it on my Steam Deck just to see if I could. Um, doable, not encouraged. Um, yeah. but it was yeah I really did not like the first one I, I do have the uh, one where they're on a pirate ship mm -hmm. I mean what's not to like like it's but, uh, they're cool yeah. games and I do like the idea that I have all that customization option right there from the start um, right. but then I immediately jump in and suddenly I'm just playing the same story which I'm not upset by um, right. That harkens back to what I do like about Dungeons & Dragons style storytelling, which is, it doesn't matter what kind of character you have, I already have this story planned out, and we're just going to still do it, but we're going to have a lot of variables along the way. But in the end, we're still right. getting there. Right. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that's been a very big... Uh, that that's that's the kind of game that does that well. It still lets you have your creativity and how you want to do this and what you want to play as but you're still going to get this experience. Like, you're still going to get this core experience. Um, your little flourishes on the experience are all up to you. Does not matter. Um, and some of these games are really, really good at that. 
they're good at still funneling that story. Um, and I think that was the other side of the coin that I really wanted to make sure we address, which we've been doing a great job of. You know, we, sure, we can create these epic characters um, of our own and then get a good story, or we can get a really bland story because it's not pulling us in, um, or we can play games that have a well-established main character already and have a pretty generic experience that can be done in a few hours um, to a massive 100 plus hour experience right wow. yeah like i think we have well i don't know we've we've praised and we've also uh, denigrated uh skyrim but that's part of the thing that makes skyrim what it is i guess it, it you know yeah. one of the best-selling games of all time extremely successful like the main story stuff sucks <laughs> yeah I <laughs> it's cannot... so weird I cannot like, in good faith say that Skyrim is a good game because it is so broken and that's just a Bethesda thing. It is um, weird that it's like I I would not say that this is even in my list of like best games. It's certainly not my favorite game, but is it one of the games I put the most amount of time into yeah. probably? Is it a, it's like it's an experience. Would, could I recommend it? Absolutely. Would I say it's good? Not necessarily. <laughs> it's totally weird. It's, it's, a, like, it's, a, uh, it's a unique experience. It's it's yeah. it's hard to replicate the kind of experience you get out of those games. Um, it's the live-action uh, Scooby-Doo movies. Yeah, it, it's, what it, it's... What it's doing, it does perfectly. And now, it knows what it's doing. And it knows what it's doing. Right. Now, um, question for you guys. What is the... What's the first game you guys remember where you got to create your own character? Oh, jeez. Probably Oblivion. <laughs> okay. Probably um, Dino Fossil Finder on uh, Windows 95. <laughs> I don't know, yeah, but the first... I mean, I, I can go back to maybe, like, uh, Knights of the Old Republic in 2003. Um, okay. I don't know if that's the oldest, because I certainly played some of the weird, like, JRPG stuff. Yeah, but if that sticks um, in your memory, that... I mean, if that's the one that stands out from yeah. then, it has to stand out for good reason. Yeah. Right. So right. Why, why do those ones well, stand that, out for you guys? Yeah, for me, like, without, uh, I'm still, I, I am praying, I'm sending emails to Saber Interactive, like, I need that uh, Nice Old Republic remake to occur. But, um, you know, without spoiling anything, it's a game where you are a particular person. And you get the, you get the, um, the full character creator screen, so it's kind of almost like uh, Mass Effect, like, you are a human, you cannot play as a Bith or something. You can't play as a Jizz player, unfortunately. But, um, you know, you you are... You choose your background, you choose your class, uh, which are they're the same thing in, in that game. But, um, you know, you are just dropped in the Star Wars universe, basically, as some weird shit is going on. And you kind of have to unravel, like, why you are even there. And your character has, like weird like they start manifesting weird abilities and shit and it's like um you know you're like the oldest person ever trained to become a jedi and things like that so you know it's a it's a good example of where they kind of do a fake out that's like oh you can be anyone you want in this game and then you create your character and it it's not super detailed so it's not like it takes 20 minutes or anything but you know you set up your initial character and do you want to be do you want to have a lot of skills? Do you want to be good at combat? Do you want to be good at dialogue? Uh, do you want to be stealthy? You know, you have a few options. 
um, although it's very streamlined compared to typical, especially Bioware at the time. Um, they had just gotten done making the first two Baldur's Gate games, which are like way more detailed, right? So this was like a very simplified game. And then, I don't know, like 60% of the way through the game, you kind of find out what, like why you're really there. And there's been like machinations that put you in certain situations at certain times and there's an Illuminati and everything. So um, I remember that one being like, you know, for the first 40 hours of the game, I thought I was a custom created character that just happened to be here. Right. And, uh, it's just such an interesting concept that like, I, I really have not seen any other game pull off to the same extent. All right. That's like, that's a game I always wanted to get into. I always wanted to play it, and every time I start, I get get I get bored really fast with it. The terrace sucks. Why. The first planet they put you on is bad. I think that's been my struggle as well. I've been trying to play it, but I just you can't. gotta just you gotta yeah. cruise through terrace. Once you get off terrace, everything changes. Yeah, I I mean, there's a part of me that almost kind of wants to be part of the crowd that just plays whatever. If the but remake, anyway. yeah, if the remake comes yeah. out be of that kind of bit there but i mean at this point it's a win because it is going to come out it's just a matter of if you're gonna have crippling arthritis in your hands to be able to play it by the time it comes out is it gonna Um, come out the same time as uh what's what's another off is it gonna come out the same year as beyond good and evil 2 that's the question (laughs) yeah i have more faith in the kotar remake than i do in beyond good So, uh, Brian, how about you? What was one of the first big ones for you that had that create a character moment that you just like, that really hooked you? Honestly, I think it, it might not be the first one, but it's the one that definitely sticks out to me the most was Elder Scrolls uh, for Oblivion. Uh, it was the first Elder Scrolls play- game I played. I picked it up used, um, and my friends and I, we just sat around playing it on 360, and it just, the in-depthness of the character creation and going into just basically all the different variations stuff for whatever reason sitting there uh just making this goofy ass character uh with my friends and stuff was it just has always stuck out with me and one of my friends uh also named austin was sitting there and he was he'd played the game so much and stuff and he was like guiding me around on the first mission area where you're escaping from jail from the with the emperor and everything like that mm-hmm. and uh he's just trying to guide me and there's a part of me is like but nah i think i'm going to do this just to make, upset him and stuff like that <laughs> i think like once we got into um to the capital city and stuff and was uh doing the arena tournament and stuff i was just going in with just daggers and light armor and it was making him so upset it was so much fun but honestly yeah i think uh i think elder scrolls uh oblivion was the first time that like a character creator really stuck out to me just because of just how in-depth you could get into with your character design and everything that was kind of like the first time that i think i really went through one of those Okay, so I, I did, I, I think Morrowind was my first Elder Scrolls, um, and I did spend a fair amount of time on the character creator there, and even then the, the game still lost me as I played it. Um, biggest, th- my first real experience with like character creation 
um, is it's weirdly unintended, but it goes even further back to like PS2 playing wrestling games with friends because <laughs> we all made our custom characters and just did like and like we always go to a friend's house that had a PS2 with a multi-tap. We all made our characters and we played the hell out of it against each other. Um, and every once in a while, because we didn't all own the game, just one friend did. He would like during the week play through an entire like quote unquote story mode with our creative characters just to make decisions for us and turn us into like like build these epic like backgrounds around them in his mind. <laughs> but it was one of those games where like obviously the story and stuff was completely irrelevant. Your characters didn't even have dialogue, they just existed. Right. So you were just put up against match versus match to get through it. There was no actual story happening. Um but I spent so much time on those character creators back then that it was fun because I was picking my move set, I was picking my exact appearance, every little detail. Um, and then when it got into like, you know, Elder Scrolls and stuff like that for the character creator, I have a problem where I will spend so much time on that character creator that by the time I'm done doing that, I don't even know if I want to play the game anymore. <laughs> yeah, that's something that's kind of interesting too. Like the the earlier games that were we kind of like alluded to this a little bit before, but the games where like you could make a custom character. But, yeah, there was no story involvement whatsoever. You were strictly choosing gameplay elements. So, like, my best example there is, like, the first Final Fantasy game. Like, you can customize your squad, and you can have all you can have a team of four black mages, I guess, if you wanted to. And, you know, you can... You're strictly changing gameplay. Like, each of the four characters... I guess the position sort of matters to the story, right? Like, Hero 1 is a particular guy. Hero 2 is a particular person. And they barely. will sometimes have dialogue, sort of, in the game. Uh, but even then, honestly, barely. Even, even with Final Fantasy 1 now, like, your characters yeah. didn't even have any dialogue. It was all just what you were hearing. Okay, um, yeah. Like, so, what you were yeah, getting it, from other characters. So it Your was customization that. is a gameplay choice. Like, do yeah. I want to play... Do I understand how to play magic users properly? Can I get a weird magic user like a red mage or something? It was it was you going back to that core D and D layout of right. they have the entire story laid out already. What yep. characters are you going to be able to go through it with? What's your party layout? How long is it going to take you to get through it now? I um, think some of these games could have an advantage by choosing a default better. So like um, like we were saying with Pillars of Eternity, there should be a way to choose like okay i want to do the canon typical playthrough so like highlight which option I like recommended choose. right have me play a sword and board fighter which has good decent damage good survivability you know they're not going to be good against like a ghost type enemy or something that you know you have to have a mage target or whatever but like yeah there's they should come up with an, a, a way to do like almost like a full game length tutorial because when you go through and play pillars of eternity with your super custom character that has a unique you you, you did a custom class that mixes the uh geomancer and druid class into like an earth mage or something you know what i mean like when you go do that you're not going to know what to do the first time you play unless you're like an expert of isometric rpgs and you've played everything in the genre so I, yeah, they, they should come up with something where... So, like, I think the uh, Larian Studios games have done a really good job of this. 
with um, Divinity, Original Sin, and now with Baldur's Gate 3, where one of the main ways they expect you to play the game is to select somebody that would otherwise be one of your party members, right? So you can choose to play as, like in Divinity Original Sin 2, you can choose to play the game as the Red Prince. So like, you are a known character that has a particular type of personality, they have a full backstory, the other characters will interact with them based on their history and stuff. Somebody might know of your kingdom and be like, oh, this guy's an asshole, um, I hate lizards, you know, whatever. And it's like, okay, I can play the game as this guy. He has a move set that is meant to work together. He has a class. Um, and then, once you get familiar with it, you can go and do your real, quote-unquote, real playthrough where you make a custom character. Um, you can make your own weird class. Maybe you can choose a class that none of the companions would be. So, like, in... Uh, obviously, this is an early access, but in Baldur's Gate 3... Right now, the classes that your allies have are Warrior, Cleric, Rogue, Warlock, uh, who am I forgetting? Wizard. So, you might decide to play the game as a Druid. Okay, the, this, the, the actual story, once you have played it and know, is Druid heavy, so the Druid has like a ton of custom... Uh, content that you will not see with other classes because the in the early game the, one of the first groups you run into is a bunch of druids so you know there's a lot of stuff that once you know what you're doing you can do something really interesting with it but if you're just going in blind you know it's gonna be uh okay maybe i'll play as a wizard or something and then like your first ally you find is a wizard it's like okay obviously i fucked this up i shouldn't have done that so, I don't know, maybe they could, uh, I don't know what the right solution to this is. Yeah, I think, I think coming up with, like, a canon character to play through the game with is probably the way to go with that. It's, it's a neat approach. Like, I, I get yeah. the idea. Um, even with games like Pillars of Eternity, when you are creating that character that you're going to play as, once you make that first few decisions of your, like, well, when you make your first couple decisions and you're getting into your stat distribution where you have your pool of points to put wherever it at least tells you there like bro you want to put them in this and it's like yeah hey, it has a recommended really... like it okay, offers a a guidance and right yeah. yeah you're you're a mage you should be putting points in um intelligence because that allows you to learn more spells and do more yeah. damage with them yeah so it at least does that part of it which is is cool but i don't know sometimes i like the idea of the recommended that's there and even in like even in the, like, it's it's weird. If you go back to the older days, like, Super Nintendo, Nintendo, like, back when we had instruction manuals, um, yeah. games would, like, the manual would even tell you, like, sometimes, this is a recommended lo loadout. This is a recommended starting character. This is what we recommend you start as to, to just play through it this way. Um, and it's so weird that it's not a thing anymore, and it's something I really didn't think about much until you brought it up. But it, it would be kind of cool if some games did give me more of a this is going to be like the as written playthrough. This is the intended as written playthrough. Everything else is still going to be fine. It's just going to be different variables so that you'll encounter it a bit differently. Maybe um, you could even space it out more. Like maybe you could do initial character creation. You choose your gender, race. Maybe that's it. And like you customize your look. 
then you get into the game, and for some reason you're disempowered, so class differences don't matter, and you just have to go punch somebody. And then it's like, it slowly unlocks more character creation the further you yeah, get. Yeah, you, you make those decisions as you go. Right. And it's like, hey, we have to we have to go in. This is actually how um, uh, Dragon Age Inquisition, you choose your class right at the beginning or whatever, but yeah. there's a point where like you're presented with an, an array of weapons, and then you choose the weapon that will select your class. Like, they could do something like that. Where it's like, you walk into a room and there are daggers, uh, a big battle axe, a sword and shield, a bow and arrow, a staff, you know what I mean? And then you, based on what you select, it's like, okay, if it'll even say in the game when you pick up the staff. This allows you to you shoot magical spells and it's a defensive weapon that, you know what I mean? It like describes what you're really doing. Right. Um, that could be doable in some games. Probably. Like Baldur's Gate three certainly could have done that if it wanted to because of the way that they like drip feed the prologue to you okay okay pause pause everybody sound guy in the back can we have a second all right listener if you can please go review us on a podcast service of your choice we'd appreciate that help people find us you know we grow a little bit it it, it just you know it'd mean a lot to us I feel like, you know, we do this, you help us that, we grow a little bit, everyone's working together, you're kind of part of the team. And I, I know everyone here would really appreciate that, except Johnny. Johnny hates everything, so it's fine. Now back to the show. But the, yeah, I don't know, so many of these games assume, I feel like a big problem with a lot of modern games, so we will probably not get something like a Witcher 3 or a Mass Effect or something like that again, at least for a while is that every game assumes that you're the biggest fan of the niche that it's in, right? There are 400,000 survival MMOs, and each one thinks that you've played every other survival MMO. So it's like, oh, the, everybody will just naturally figure out that if you combine six iron and nine wood, you get a perfectly formed door. Like, we don't have to put anything in the game that describes any of that. And it's like, yeah, every game is somebody's first game. Like, Brian, like you got into Oblivion, which is the Elder Scrolls 4. Right. There were three other main Elder Scrolls games, not to mention weird spinoffs. Right. So it's like, not to mention DLCs, you know? Um, I played Morrowind with, like, no context of what anything was, and that is a weird fucking game to go into with no context, and it really does not do a good job of explaining itself, you know? Well, think about when we were talking about our first topic of this new season of podcasts we're doing, Old Franchise, New Player, when we were talking yeah. about how I've only played Dragon Age Inquisition. I haven't played yep. Origins 1 or 2. You've only played three of every game. <laughs> Apparently <laughs> Only so. the third one. <laughs> and then Three or later. <laughs> yeah, three or later only, please. Witcher 3. Uh, let's be honest. Don't go back and play The Witcher One. It's not a good game. Yeah, that's, it's not. I've got it. It's not. I bought it back when I went through my entire Witcher phase of buying everything, even the books, yep. and I was like, I don't have time yep. for any of this. All the collectors' editions of everything. Yeah, yeah. Don't, don't don't get me started on that. It's just bro. The sex trading cards in The Witcher One is the God. only thing that makes that game worth anything. <laughs> but like, there, it's so hard, and it's so hard to find that experience where a, a, a company is able to do it right where they yep. do give you that created character but also give you a, 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 a 
an engaging enough story or at least a way yeah. to do it. Um, yeah. One that I brought up before that I thought was really unique is how the From Software games mostly have done it. Um, like Dark Souls, Demon Souls, Bloodborne, all of those games where, yes, there is an underlying story that's there, mm -hmm. but you're not getting it from talking to NPCs and stuff. You're getting it from exploring the world that you're in. Well, also, I, th I think an important thing of that is that I mean, this is true. I, we've, you know, like we said with uh, Dragon Age Origins and stuff. Like, if, realistically, whatever you select, it doesn't really matter. Like Skyrim is the most notorious one of these. But um, yeah, in in Dark Souls, it really it doesn't matter what you select. Uh, what mat it, It's changing your gameplay, right? If you chose. Uh, you know, a little worm boy that has no zero in all stats, and he starts the game naked with a, you know, his only weapon is a broken chair leg that he pulled out of his own stomach or whatever. Like, you know, you're changing your own gameplay, and you're changing your story of your character and everything. But realistically, the game doesn't care, right? Like, if you, if you choose to uh, build Elden Ring, you know, if you choose whatever the worst possible character class is, or if you choose a conjuring mage that has that starts the game with a spell that one hit kills every boss in the game, the game itself does not care. Yeah. Right? Like, you have not changed anything. Yeah, you're playing like, as a character that doesn't even have dialogue. You don't say anything. You can. You effectively emote. don't exist. Yeah, you, you kind of are just a... It, right. it's, it's weird because it's so hard to really describe how, how you are handling those games because the world you're uncovering, not by talking to people, but by finding stuff, reading your item descriptions. Um, you'll pick up a sword and you'll read the item description and find out like, oh, this was uh, commonly used by a knight that was part of this country or part of this part of the world. And you get you can get so deep into it, um, but at the same time, you don't have to. You can just yeah. Create your character and plow through it, and experience just the boss fights and the stuff that's there. But if you are playing it for any of the story, the story is really good. The, 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 it's not so much a story as it's just the lore. Right. So you you get into that side of it too, where you have some games that are kind of crappy at storytelling. They'll give you character customization, but they're crappy at storytelling. But they give you an immense amount of lore that you can find. Um, mm -hmm. And the Elder Scrolls games, and honestly, just all the Bethesda RPGs in general, so Fallout's going to be lumped in there too. They're good at giving you a ton of lore, but not giving you a great story experience. Yeah. Um, and and they try to use that lore to make you care more about it. Mm. And sometimes it works, and sometimes it doesn't. Um, Destiny. Sometimes the lore gets very annoying because another settlement needs your help. Right. But, yeah, that's interesting. That like a lot. I feel like. That was like an older game thing, and then a modern game. Like there was, there was a beautiful shining point of history between like, uh, I don't know, 2000 and 2012 or something, where like games were like, oh yeah, we just have to like, like games were like, over reliant on lore probably. Like Mass Effect is a big uh, contributor to this, but like it's all presented to you in the game, right? So you can go read all of the log entries or whatever if you want, which I definitely did on the first game. But, Do you remember like the companion app for Mass Effect where it was the essentially the data pad? It was just the just, codex, yeah. Yeah, that was Bad. awesome. Stupid. But, um... Yeah, yeah like Skyrim, Skyrim did this where, like, there, in the game, there are in-character written 
children's stories that you can read out of a book that right? you find and it's like that yeah. you find laying in a cave next to a dead troll so it's like um it's really interesting and like there's all this lore and stuff it's all built into the game and then there is like this more modern phenomena from stuff like dark souls and uh destiny one certainly i think destiny two also was guilty of it where it's yeah. like there is lore and like if they see lore almost as like a supplementary like an appendix for somebody that really wants to go read it right and it's like so we don't even actually put this shit in the game you have to go to page 700 of the wikia to figure out well not just that, that um the daedra's fallen heart is actually um meredith's bone spur from her left leg you know what i mean like the shit is just so weird well the they just bury that criticism wow that criticism is more that it was just uh not it's not it wasn't it wasn't accessible. Like intuitive and accessible yeah. right 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 you had to find a collect at least on destiny one you had to find a collect uh a cl- uh, collector piece in the game and then that would sync up with your account that you didn't have to pull up a mobile app to then read the lore that was associated right. with the collector. Well, it was a dead ghost that you would find that would then right. give you a piece of um, history and lore and everything. So it's one of those things like, okay, effectively, they are saying and they are telling you, the player, that this is not part of the game. Yeah. Like, you have to go somewhere else. Like, this is, if you're, you know, you're not currently playing Destiny and you want, you're at work and you want to think about Destiny for 45 minutes, you can go open up your fucking lore app. But uh, and I guess Dark Souls is doing a different thing, too, because that's more of, like, a collaborative, like, people building theories and making connections and stuff, well, which is kind of more the, interesting. The Dark Souls side of it is still that it is it is all stuff that's in the games. It's just that... It exists in the games. It's just not explained in the games. It, it is, though, if you go into the if you go into the item descriptions. That's the thing, though, is you have to, like, as you're reading well you all say that items. but the item descriptions are it's a rusty little thing and then you can find another item that references rusty and then rusty was a guy and then that way no, you can figure like, out that it was the, related to rusty's cousin like a lot of the a lot of the items you'll have like your stat like you'll have like the item like the the rough item description for what it is but then you'll have like the stat page then you'll have like essentially a a, a lore log that's there with it to know like a full like three paragraphs of what this actually was so for items where it isn't just like a common short sword, um, but you'll get like, like loose, like you'll get a certain weapon that has like a name connected to it, and then when you read through that, that's what gives you that actual lore connection. So you do still have a lot of the common weapons and the common items you would have in any fantasy game, but then you get some that have like those proper titles to them, um, like a like like if it were a character specific, like a titled short spear. Yeah, or, it was like uh, David's. Goliath Slayer spear. Yeah, like you get some, you get really unique names for some of them, and that's where you go through and learn, like, oh, this was used because it was for this against, like, you know, in this time when this kind of when these dragons were invading the area, and this was used to slay the last of their kind. Like it's so the the extra lore is in there if you find it, and that's what's yeah. kind of rewarding about it for me on that aspect of it is I can find the stuff and it'd be like, oh, oh, damn, cool. Um, and there are some where even with Elden Ring had uh, at least one spot in the game where you would have to read one little thing that would talk about doing something at a certain place and then you go to another part of the game and you do a certain emote there and it unlocks more stuff 
um, and it is given right. to you within the con within the confines of the game but it's just you have to learn how to interpret that so it is one where it rewards you with extra lore none of which is required to beat the game on right, that aspect right. of it but it's that extra reward of them saying like yeah there's a fuckload of lore in here and you may never find it all you might find every bit of it on your first playthrough if you go crazy on it like some of us did um, but it's almost that like it's almost like what Hideo Kojima is really good at with like weird storytelling except his is more like his isn't much about the lore it's about the off the walls story that's being told to you that you just well, don't yeah, Kojima's get. is about making you watch a 45 minute cutscene describing this insane shit whereas yeah in uh, Dark Souls if you want to you can go look and get really super dug in on this insane shit like it's it, it's neat to see like the difference that's there like I I'm a big I've, I've learned over the years that I'm more of a lore person than a story person um, mm -hmm. and it took a lot for me to come to that realization and I think one of the biggest parts of it is I got more into MMOs as I got yeah. older and yeah. Whereas a lot of those games have more generic storytelling. Some do really well. Um, Final Fantasy XIV, for example, does a phenomenal job at it. Um, but I recently got two of the lore books, which talk about all of the, the lore and stuff within that world. And I was like, oh, yeah, this is exactly what I needed. Like, yeah. this, is the, this is the dumb stuff that satisfies my little like ADHD brain that makes me just lets me just dive in and learn everything about something and, and then and then once I know it all I move on to something else and it's just yeah, backlogged in my mind. I, I think that's kind of a good spot to land on here because it's like that is one of the big differentiators of like, okay, if, if you're doing if you're playing a Witcher, right? There obviously is like a shitload of lore or whatever. Though I think the main success of The Witcher 3 is that you do not have to have read any books. You don't have to have played Witcher 1 and 2. You don't have to know what an RPG is. You don't have to know where Poland is on a map, right, to be able to understand The Witcher 3. It does such a good job of, like, presenting the things just as they are. There is, like, a whole codex in the game where you can go and micromanage, like, okay, I'm about to fight a... Bruxa at nighttime, so I want to use my silver sword and I want to use my anti vampire uh, oil. And then I also, she's vulnerable to the Ard sign because it creates fire and they don't like fire. And you know, you can go through all of this. Uh, I said the wrong sign, didn't I? But you can, uh, you know, you can go into all this detail and it is there if you really want it, if you're just an absolute freak. But generally you can play the game like okay silver's for monsters steals for humans uh, which is not from the books so that's one of the things i always find kind of funny but um it's like okay you know i can just uh pretty much you can play the whole game and figure out what you're doing and you probably don't really have to be like min maxing or armor optimizing or using the correct oils and shit like that it really does not super important um on the normal difficulty but, yeah, I guess the extreme lore fans and, like, yeah, people playing the game for the 30th playthrough or whatever, like I do with Dragon Age, is like, okay, obviously I can create some insane custom character that's like, oh, this guy, he was uh, part of the Legion of the Fallen 21, uh, 21st Battalion, you know what I mean? Like, you can have all this information 
if you want, and you can do some weird, cool stuff, you can go to the altar at midnight and perform a child sacrifice and get plus five to your armor score or whatever. And, like, the... Yeah, I'm a much more of a fan of story. I don't need lore. Uh, lore kind of... If there's, like, a shitload of lore that I don't already know, it actually kind of annoys me. Because I'm just out of room in my brain for new lore. So it's if it's not, like, Dragon Age or Star Wars or whatever, I'm really not interested. And, I think that's... Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's kind of... It, it, the two... The, like, the card-coded character that you can just play... There's a story. You don't have to customize if you don't want to. I think that is just the story thing, the story element. And then the super deep customization is like the lore. Like, I know in Pillars of Eternity world that I want to make this guy. You know? Like, it's it's funny. I'm, again, as always, I'm going through all the Final Fantasy games and trying to play through yeah. every one of them just to say that I've done them all and have them cataloged that way. And right now I'm bouncing between playing four for like the billionth time and yep. five. And even then, like, those games have very straightforward stories. Four to me has one of the better, like, beginning to end stories that you play through. You don't have a lot of extra customization and access and stuff that's in there. I am playing beginning to end on it. But there are other ones where I get to pick my... And, and because of that, those characters do have engagement with each other. They are set characters. Mm -hmm. They have conversation. They have interactions. There are points in some of the Final Fantasy games where you lose characters, as in, like, they, they leave your party. Some die. And that is a thing where you're like, oh, oh, damn. Um, that person meant something in this world because they are that pre-written character. Uh, but there's other ones where... You're basically, you know, you're you're like Link. You're the you're the voiceless protagonist. You don't really have a lot of engagement with other people. So if something happens to you, whatever. Um, and even then, there are some games that do well with that voiceless protagonist by making the other characters engage with you. Um, and and that's what some games do a very very good job of. Chrono Trigger back on the Super Nintendo did a phenomenal job of your your main character never says a word but everybody else engages with them in a way that you know that character. Mm -hmm. So it's it's another one of those where that's that's a very good story that's being told because everything was so well written ahead of time, and I have no problem playing through that repeatedly over and over for some of those. Um, and th But there are some games where I get a really awesome story, I get a really well-written character right off the bat, and I will blast through that game and I will love it, but I will probably never go back to it. Um, the Last of Us was one of those games, you know. Un the Uncharted series is are some of those mm -hmm. games. I I can't bring myself back to it. Even even Tomb Raider for the reboots that all happened when the reboot happened and, and Tomb Raider got its whole like new origin and everything. Yeah. I loved that first game, absolutely loved it. Um, it told a really good story. Um, I already knew a lot of lore in that world anyway, but it told a really engaging story that made me want to go through it, and it, it, it made me not want to drop my controller. Um, and it's those kinds of engaging stories that keep me so excited, but other games can try to give me you know, a more open, accessible world to explore with more customization on how I approach it, and then I feel like I lose my reason to pick up my controller again because I'm not excited for Chapter 3 to start because I don't even know where I am. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, it's a very big, big Catch-22 because some games do one thing really, really well. Some do the other really well. And I, I, need to, I have to find that mix that really hooks me. 
the last non-story like game that I was really able to get hooked on was Elden Ring. And, and that game, as you guys know, consumed me for the better part of a few months. Um, yeah. But the last time I sat down and blasted through a game with a solid narrative about a specific character, it's still my old games that I'm replaying because they're that good. Even if I know the story is coming up, I still like playing through them again because I like that story. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely have like a ton of replay time in custom character games. Yeah. Um and I, I even for even for my MMOs that happens. I will every time I play Final Fantasy 14, I will play for like one or two months and then I'll drop it again. But then when I'll you go, come back you have to start over again. Yeah, basically. I want to I yeah. want to play a new character again, so I make yeah. another new character. I spend hours in my care in my creator in my character creator and then I start the game and I'm just plowing through the beginnings of it because I don't care as much about the the story in the early on because it's all the same stuff I've done a billion times yep. and I already know all the lore so I can just try to cut past as much stuff as I can to get as far as I can before I lose my energy again before I lose momentum again um, but it always brings me back because I, I do like spending that time on that custom creator that custom character I mm. do like the world building that can happen within the game and MMOs are just a whole different ball game for that. Right. Um, but your standard offline games are are the, the biggest focus on, you know, do you give me a main character that's good with an engaging story, or do you give me a main character that is already established with an open world? Like, I, I hate to say it, but like Watch Dogs and mm. like the Assassin's Creed games. Yeah, I'm a main, I know who I am in this big open world, but I don't like who I am. Right. And some of those games could benefit better from letting me create something and, and play something new. Um, yeah, I've definitely been burned out on probably pretty much all of the Ubisoft games at this point. Um, but there are some people that love it, and it's their formula that just works. Right. So I can't even argue it because it's not my thing, but it is definitely a lot of people's thing. Um just like the Far Cry games. Far Cry 3, Far Cry 4, Far Cry 5, even up to Far Cry 6. People aren't playing those games because they like the main character. Right, right. There is, I mean, as far as they know, when they're playing the game, there is no main character, right? It's like, this is Gun Guy. You're the, the, the bad guy is the main character in all right. of those games, right. and that is all people care about because they are phenomenally written. And well, I mean, you a, can really break down into that and just say, like, Call of Duty, right? Like... There literally is no main character if you play it for multiplayer. Like, you know, you don't... What was even it? when you're playing, you're not like, oh, this is my guy. He's, he's like Steve. He was a Iraq veteran or something. Like, it, there is literally no characterization at all, right? It's it's strictly there, mechanics and gameplay. Wasn't there a Call of Duty, like, collector edition that came out back in, like, the 360 PS3 era where it was, like, a bust of... Soap McTavish, one the yeah. one of the main characters that you play as in the Modern Warfare series. I remember seeing that and like, who's Soap? Like, why are we? Why is this a collector thing? Doesn't he also become a villain later? No, like, he dies. He no. dies at the beginning of three. Okay. Because so like that's like you, you play as him through. Well, it's weird because like in the first one, you float between him and. Uh, uh, some American soldier 
and then in the second one you're roach until you get killed and then you switch back to soap and then you get stabbed at the very end by the bad guy yeah. Yeah. and then at the beginning of three soap dies and so you play as someone Spoiler alert. and 2008 captain price i think who weirdly is also killed in the first Call of Duty game ever made, which takes place in World War Two. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So there's like yeah, there are characters, I guess, but it's yeah, it's 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 not about that, right? It's it's strictly about 100% the gameplay. It's not about that. Yeah, like, mechanics. Like Borderlands Two. Who's the main character? Uh, Borderlands One. The main character is Claptrap, obviously. <laughs> like in those games you have like that array of characters you can play as and it doesn't impact anything as far right. as the overall final story, story of everything yeah. um, right. and I would have to argue that the main character of Borderlands 2 at least is Handsome Jack right. like it's yep. again it's one of those weird games where it doesn't matter what you're doing as the main character the villain is what's controlling that entire thing yeah, uh, which... and that's why people like that game so much I just finished the main story for Borderlands 2 about two nights ago. And isn't he such a good villain? Oh yeah, no, he's a fantastic <laughs> villain. So, so it, 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 I, I'm definitely excited to get uh, into the pre-sequel, which I'm guessing he's going to be in that one as well as... It, pre-sequel, I like the pre-sequel. A lot of people don't, right. but I, I dug it a lot. Like, I'm going through the DLC on Borderlands 2 at the moment on, but, on uh, the Torg one. But that's one of those prime examples of like you're you don't really get a creative character but you do have that customization aspect of which class am i playing as yeah um so it's a little bit more tighter than like a pillars of eternity or something but well, it changes the your same whole, exact story yeah it, it changes your gameplay minute to minute right because you have completely different combos and abilities and everything yeah but um yeah like you said the, the core story is what it is it might. I guess there's probably class missions occasionally and stuff, right? So there's, yeah, there's a little bit of difference, but it's not notable. Yeah, some NPCs are going to engage with you a little bit differently here and there. Of course, you're going to say stuff back to the main character, to the villain a little bit differently based on what character you're playing as. Right. But it doesn't right. change the overall like beginning to end, like the, the final product. They're um, still using that generic uh, dialogue yeah, to be able to address get, each one. Which yeah, it, you get, sometimes, like when it's like kind of obvious that they wrote it that way, it's a little funny. Uh, it's just kind of like where they just kind of vaguely address who you are, but not specifically who you are. And so you can tell it's a very generic line that they're using. Yeah, yeah and it's it's weird because it is that whole, like... The Borderlands characters are known for having a voice, and that's the the antithesis of of your voiceless main character, like your, your Link from The Legend of Zelda, who never says anything your Ryu from the Breath of Fire games that never says anything um, Chrono and Chrono Trigger and Serge and Chrono Cross they never say anything they're that voiceless character that you kind of just put your own personality into based on how they're interacting with everything um, and you still get that, that unique story through all of them but it's not because you're hooked on that character you're hooked on the journey on those games like it's everyone right. else that matters and that's what happens with Borderlands, even though your characters say off-the-wall stuff once in a while, and everybody has a favorite character to play as for each of those, usually because of dumb stuff like that, it doesn't change the overall beginning to end of it. You're you're still more focused because your villain is what's driving you, or 
you know, trying to learn what's going on in that world is what's driving you, and that story is really there. So it shows you how well some developers can really, really lock in on that one thing that they do well, and they keep it that mm. way. But as we already said with like stuff like Ubisoft, it gets old. Like, then I need to move on. Yep. Like, the early Assassin's Creed games were cool. Like, oh, I can pretty much explore and do all this dope stuff. And then it was just... I'm not liking this doing anymore. That forever. Yeah, like five games in, I'm not digging this anymore. But oddly enough, something like Shadow of Mordor comes out. It has a very specific story being told. It does have the same kind of Assassin's Creed-ish open world. But I'm enjoying it more because yep. I'm interacting with NPCs differently. There's, there's just the little nuances and the lore that's there I'm enjoying more. So it can give me... You know, you can take most of that same formula and copy-paste it over and just swap out one variable in there and suddenly get my interest again. But some yeah. companies just aren't switching the right variable. Yeah. So I guess going forward, um, do we see any of this changing in the future? Um, obviously games that are particularly going for an older style like you know we talked about the uh, KOTOR remake like obviously that is going to be emulating the older stuff so I, I wouldn't count that in the same way but um, yeah I guess so it, we kind of talked about how like a lot of games recently are like doing this thing where they kind of outsource lore or they kind of um, obfuscate it a little bit I guess um, do we see any kind of trend with like created characters like are people taking the lessons from Mass Effect and uh, Witcher 3? Uh, or do you think they're going to get to even more customization? Um, I feel It just depends a... on whatever game that they're trying to make, I think. Um, mm -hmm. I think I don't really see like changes as like the style because I think like these different types of character customizations serve a purpose depending on what game it is that you're trying to make. What I do see changing is probably just improvements in writing and story to better accommodate for whatever um, character creation or whatever your protagonist ends up being for uh, the game that they're trying to make, to make right. it seem a bit more fluid. And I think that's just something that is just an incremental improvement that we've been seeing for a while and we'll probably just continue to see. Yeah, I don't, I don't think we're going to see anything crazy different. If anything, what we're starting to see more of is the assumption that if there is shared lore between things, that people already know a lot of it. Yeah. Um, um, the biggest thing I would say is, like, if I look at my Final Fantasy games, and it, it's... Earlier I was going to mention that it was funny that I hadn't talked about it, but you were the one that, straight, that brought up Final Fantasy first on this episode. Yeah. Um, but... There are shared lore bits and shared themes throughout every one of those games. Like, of course, everyone knows like the crystals are always a thing in the Final Fantasy games. Yep. Um, and after a while, like after like Final Fantasy three and forward, the summons became a big thing, and like everyone knows Shiva, and everyone knows Ifrit, and everyone knows uh, Ramu, and everyone knows all the different like summons that are there, or at least knows enough about them. Like that was always a big thing that happened in every one of the games to one now every time one of those games comes out that's like the big reveal like oh check out Titan in this game cool oh yeah the new the new Bahamut's really cool yeah it's always something yeah. like that there's that, that shared thing that's there because they know that 
those bits of lore um, are common throughout all of them. Like every single one of them, Shiva has been like the big ice summon that does crazy stuff. Um, Bahamut's been like the big epic like god dragon until it had even bigger forms in other games. Odin was always a sweeping in one hit kill for a bunch of stuff. So um, every game, no matter what we're going to get changes in as far as like how they're telling us this story, how the combat is, or how what kind of characters we're playing as, those little bits and pieces are still going to be there to still stitch people back in. Um, and I, I think that that's going to be something that's never going to go away. Some companies just know their fan base well enough. Um, will we ever see a Far Cry game happen without a big-name villain ever again? I don't think so. That's just yeah. always their thing now. They find that's their niche, they stick with it, and it burns a lot of people out, but it also keeps a lot of people in. Mm-hmm. Um and games like that are also, I think, well, specific things like that are also why in bigger franchises, a lot of people default to their favorite is that first one they got into. Mm-hmm. You know, Far Cry 4 is probably always going to be my favorite because it was the first one I liked, even though everyone says Far Cry 3 was better. But I skipped Far Cry 3 because I hated Far Cry 2. Yep. Um, Assassin's Creed, I don't really have a favorite. I mean, I would probably say, like, I liked a little bit more of what I touched with Odyssey than anything, but that's because I didn't like anything else. I tried some of the older ones and couldn't get into them. Um, And it's because I just, the stories didn't hook me. The lore wasn't so much lore as it was like mostly real life stuff because that's how they prided themselves on those games. It was like, oh, check it out. It's the pyramids. Check it out. It's, It's era specific pirate ships. It's like, I don't. I don't need that. Yeah, their in my their lore game. was uh, history. Yeah, their lore was the history book, so they didn't have to do anything creative yeah. for most of it, except the out of the like the current quote unquote current or future day stuff that they were doing. Well, you um, also had the um, uh, the ones who came before stuff that they were intertwined the fake history that they would yeah do yeah like precursors or whatever. Like yeah. that stuff wasn't it was too close to reality for me to be able to yeah. like focus on hard enough and zone out on versus playing like you know Resident Evil where the story is like still obviously the most generic dumb thing in the world but the lore that's there is just massively deep if you go into it enough and I was like that's what hooked me growing up that that kind of stuff got me in those games was that world building they would do Uh, and those were good games on giving me sometimes generic characters to start and it's fun seeing an evolution happen. Some games give us that, where if they give us the same character in multiple games, is it really that same character, or are we seeing an evolution of that character? Are we seeing that character grow over time? And that's kind of cool, too, and you don't get that with create a character. Um, that's interesting. You do get the unique aspect, however, of your Dragon Age Inquisition and stuff like that, where you can import some of the decisions you may, would have made in previous games. Yeah, that games stuff is crazy. Yeah, Mass Effect. Effect and Dragon Age did really good at that. Those were both really good at saying, mm-hmm. "Hey, you played these other games. Do you want to import your decisions from those to see how it see how it matters in this world?" That's well, a cool idea. In yeah. the terms of Mass, or not Mass Effect, but uh, Dragon Age Inquisition, you even imported your previous characters. Yeah. Like, literally, the way that you have customized and changed existing characters can appear in the game. Right. Which is really... Uh, because, very like... Very different. Yeah. Um, because, it, you know, depending if your character survives the first game, 
they'll actually show up in Inquisition and mm -hmm. then uh, the hero from the second game will also be there and then decisions can be made that they could potentially die in Inquisition. Like that's a really that's a really cool idea, and I I yeah. like the idea that I can carry something to keep me invested from one game to another in a series, yeah. and that happened as far back as PS One. Yeah, like there, are, um, there are games in on PlayStation One that if you were playing them through from the older ones to the current ones, you could carry stuff over and import it. Um, now like Suikoden Two is one of the the early ones where obviously it's a super it was a super rare game for a long time. But if you played through the first game, that game had like 108 characters in it you could recruit. Um, in the second one, if you did everything right and had data on your memory card from the first game, you could grab, your, you could actually recruit your main character from the first game. Yeah. So that was a really cool idea, and you couldn't do it otherwise. You had to have played the first one to be able to do that. Um, and there was a series I played on PS1 that was the Ark the Lad collection. I bought it as like a working designs giant box set where if you played those games in order and they were like tactical RPGs, playing those games in order, you could carry stuff from game to game and eventually like see things impact the other games from your memory card files from previous games. Yeah. So like I, I like that idea when a company doesn't just let go of its world building or its story and they don't just go back to square one. Um, but I also understand that they don't have to give you the exact same everything. Like, can I play Dragonish Inquisition without playing one or two? Yeah. Can yep. I still have fun doing it? Yeah, I still enjoy Dragon Age Inquisition. Um, is it neat to be able to play through that, though, and see what your playthrough of one and two did to this world? Definitely. That's kind of cool, and that does give you replay value, and that is still part of that storytelling that's there that keeps you more engaged as you go. Um, they're one of those companies that as much as I don't, as I can't stay hooked on their games, I think they did it right. Mm -hmm. Like they're, they're notoriously good for their storytelling. Um, yeah. Their decision making, the options they give you throughout the game to make you feel like you are impacting that world. The fact that you can play one and two and then, or you can not play them and just jump into the third one um, and, and go with generic decisions that were made to just let you enjoy this world as it is. Um, I could not imagine pick. Could you imagine picking up a book and book having three. it change based on like whether or not you read the first two and just like, Bro. oh, what the hell? Like it would be the wildest like choose your own adventure anthology in the world, and that's what those games are giving us, which I think is really cool and really unique that not a lot of others do. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing for the others. God of War games, you don't impact the next game based on what you did in the first one. It's going to happen or it's not. Right. Um, you're either going to play it. I mean, it's going to happen either way. You're playing the game. It's literally scripted. Um, right. But Fallout 4, God, stuff might never happen in that game because you can't stop building new settlements. Yeah. It's interesting. All right. I think that's uh, what we've got on that. I definitely want to carry this into um, morality in games. So yeah. we're, we're going to need to heavily bias the uh, upcoming poll. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're definitely yep. going to... I've got a strong feeling that morality is going to be a, we're, another we're, big we're one. We're right there we're, on it, I think. Yeah, we, we've touched too much on it at this point, so uh, we'll, we're either going to take a, a, a break in between, but we'll see what Twitter decides to tell us. So yeah. if you guys haven't yet, 
make sure to make sure to follow us on Twitter um, and we need to actually drop some discord links on there at some point too yeah um because we did have some things change up since we are now part of we're not just our own thing anymore if you guys are new at listening to this right now we've grown a little bit we have we have evolved we are no longer that lowly bulbasaur we are now much more of an ivy sar um we are now part of the fun balanced family so there is a a whole new Discord that you guys can join up, and we're going to drop some links to that on our on Twitter as well. I know we've already dropped a couple, um, but we're going to be dropping our polls on there. We're getting a lot more engagement in the Discord, so if you're listening, we want yeah. you there too. Um, let us know. We talk about all different kinds of gaming stuff. We still drop recent deals and stuff that are active on there. We just kind of shied away from doing them on the podcast here because if you're listening to this eight months from when we recorded it, you don't need to know what this week's freebies are on the Epic Game Store because uh, that was probably a bad comparison. They might be the same. Um, yeah. <laughs> with the they, rotation they been that's been going on. Lately. Yeah. <laughs> but, but yeah, so a lot, lot more. Uh, we can keep it more current, more modern, and uh, also there's just a bigger community that's already somewhat established and and we've got some other shows branching out too. Um, yeah. As as JS said on previous episodes, we have Bad Assets, which is a Bunkers and Badass podcast, uh, following through the story of some wild, wild adventurers. Hey, um, I'm on that, and I do an insultingly bad Italian accent. Love hey, that. Some, sometimes we got to suffer through what we suffer through. <laughs> exactly. And there's also a Fun Balance podcast, which is just you know Jay and a couple friends talking about stuff. Um, we still have Mammoth Games, which is us talking about all of your gaming stuff. Uh, we are kind of transitioning away from the news, as you've noticed. We're still dropping all of that in our Discord, though. We just like talking about things that are a lot more focused like this, where we can really engage with each other more without getting angry at everything, which has been kind of refreshing. Uh, yeah. This is one of the first times that uh, Austin and I haven't gone off on a... Haven't had the soapbox for a while. Yeah. ...angry <laughs> tangent about yep. companies. So it's... Uh, it's been a lot of fun, so definitely follow us on social media. Jump into our Discord, talk to us a little bit more. Let us know what episode, what kind of things you want us to talk about. We're gonna have a few things on our new poll coming up, uh, and as Austin said, it looks like one of those choices is definitely gonna be tackling morality in games very soon. Um, and one of the other options we had this week could have been, you know, talking about the hype train in video games and in in marketing as well. So um, that might be a choice there too. Uh, anyway. This has been a fun, fun episode. Uh, we hope you guys enjoyed hearing us talk about our experiences with story-driven games, with creative character, and with all the customization that's there. Let us know your experiences. Let us know what those first games were for you guys that brought this stuff to the table and made you understand that this could even be a thing. But yeah. that's it for this episode of uh, the Mammoth Gamescast. Uh, I'm Johnny, and this week we've got Austin. What's up? We've also got Brian. Hey. Thanks for listening, guys. Hi, my name is Ian Moss, and I am one of the three hosts. Is that, I don't know if that's the, is host the right word? Is this a, is this a show? Do we show things? 
And not really. I think it's a podcast. Oh, right, right. Okay. Maybe more of an experience? Yeah, yeah. We're, we're experiential. I'm one of the three, whatever you want to call it, of the Fun Balance po- Codcast. We talk about COD. We're a CODcast now. I'm sorry. I ruined everything. <laughs> we're exclusively about genital protection and fish. I'm going to need more information about the first one and less information about the second one. But anyway. That's not how that works, and you know it. <laughs> we talked about COD pieces. And fish, Todd Fish. So with me on this experience is John Gilmore. I've changed my name to Todd Gilmore, thank you. <laughs> and Jay Weitzel. Oh, no, not me. Cod Gilmore and I are tabletop game designers, so I'm not going to call you Cod anymore. I'm going to go for the John. So, John, what is Fun Balance? Well, Fun Balance is when, in design, you throw out proper mathematical balance in exchange for fun, which is kind of what we're doing every episode. We throw out the structure of a respectable podcast with planning and management, and instead we just have fun conversations about all kinds of things, right, Jay? Yeah, you know, we talk about everything and nothing. It's like a Seinfeld episode. John and I are really big into video games. We try to convince Ian to play more than two hours of a video game. Unsuccessful. Hasn't happened yet. Okay, fair, fair. You know, we also dive into things like best comic book characters. It's 100% dog welder. That's easy. And everything else. Ian and I, we've known each other for for more of our lives than we haven't. So we have plenty of stories to tell there as well. Not all COD related either, surprisingly. Not all. Well, there's a couple. It's very COD centric. So join us every two weeks for Fun Balanced, a podcast of unbalanced conversations. Should be Codversations. Can I change it at the end? Can we just go (laughs) Codversations? Yeah, Yeah, redo that last part. A podcast of unbalanced conversations. Perfect. We're keeping all this in. Yep. Yep. Yeah, don't even edit out the part where we talked about it. <laughs> Wasn't this supposed to be a minute long? <laughs> yeah, we're going to stop now. <laughs>